Well, good morning and welcome again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. It is a beautiful day out there today. Uh, it is a little on the warm and feels like maybe even a little bit humid uh, side, but it is just a great day to be here with each and every one of you and to come together to just to sing some worship songs and just to really lift God up in every way. So today we are going to continue with our series from the book of Jonah, and we have made it all the way to Jonah chapter 4. Now, for those of you, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, uh, most of you kind of know the basics of the story of Jonah, right? God gave Jonah a mission, and, and Jonah went uh, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to try to avoid this mission that God had given him. And uh, fast forward a little bit, and the storm comes, and they throw Jonah overboard, and the big fish swallows Jonah, and then the fish vomits Jonah out onto the beach. And he finally, we saw last week, he goes about the work that God had given him to do. Now, last week's story is such a great story because it's a story of second chances. And we know that our God is a God not only of second chances, but third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And you get the idea. And thank goodness that he is, right? But he still used Jonah. He gave Jonah another chance. And Jonah did what God asked him to do. And we know that that's more about God than, of course, it was about Jonah. But he brought about this huge revival and something like 120,000 people started following God. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just stop right there? We go Jonah chapter 1, good story. Jonah chapter 2, good story. Jonah chapter 3, great story. Let's just end it right there on a high note. That would be awesome, right? And I've heard a lot of people that teach the book of Jonah. That's exactly what they do. They teach through chapter 3. They get to the high point. They get to the revival, and they say, okay, now let's move on to something else. But unfortunately, that's not the way the Bible works, right? We don't get to just pick and choose the stories that we want to read. We don't get to pick and choose the things that we want to follow. We don't get to pick and choose, I think I'll do this, but not do that. So it would not be fair for me to spend three weeks on the book of Jonah and then just call it a day. Now, would I like to do that? Of course, because I want to end on a high note. I want to end in triumph. I want to end with Jonah finally stepping up and living into his calling and doing exactly what God wanted him to do and bringing 120,000 people to the faith. But unfortunately, it's not exactly how that book ends. So we have to assume that chapter 4 is here for a reason. Even though we may not like chapter 4, all scripture is God-breathed, right? He wants us to hear this. He needs us to hear this. So that means there's something in here that we want to know. There's something that we need to know. There's something that God wants to teach us through Jonah chapter 4, even though 1 through 3 is where kind of the sweet spot that we would have liked to have left this in. So today we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to see that things kind of take a little bit of a turn in Jonah chapter 4. But I want to point out some things. I titled this sermon, Underestimating God, because we see that in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah once again underestimates God. Now, we know that throughout this process, he has underestimated God, right? Because when he was afraid to go to Nineveh, when he was afraid to go preach to the barbarians, as they've often been called, he, he underestimated that God was going to take care of him, that God was going to protect him, and he let his fear take over, and he underestimated the power of God. Tyler read a great scripture for us that I asked him to read this morning about God's plans being so much bigger than the plans that you and I have. So much more important than the plans that you and I have. And see, we tend to underestimate God. 
See, Jonah went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction because he underestimated God and didn't want to do what God had planned for him. And it took him being thrown off of a ship and swallowed by a fish and vomited out onto the beach for him to finally go, maybe I should probably do what God has in mind instead of what I want or what I feel like I need to do. So that's where we're going to pick up today, and that's in Jonah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, because this is where we left off last week. And it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So this is kind of where we left off last week, like revival. We left off on a high note. Wonderful things are happening. We read last week that they put on their sackcloth and they sat in the ashes. And they took the warning of God seriously. And they gave up their false idols. They gave up their half-fish, half-man God named Dagon. And they started following our God. Now, we know that our God is a loving and a merciful God. So it's no big surprise that in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, hey, I'm not going to destroy the city after all because they've done exactly what I wanted them to do. So chapter 3 ends on a great note. The city is saved. 120,000 plus people have come to God. But then we get into chapter 4. Chapter 4 says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Now, if you've learned anything about Jonah, because see, we don't really know a whole lot about Jonah. There's only one other little excerpt in the Bible where we see anything about Jonah, and it really just says who he is and what he does and who his dad was. But if you've learned anything from the first three chapters, and if you've been paying attention, let's just be honest, Jonah's a little on the dramatic side. Has anybody noticed that so far? When you see chapter 4, we're going to see that Jonah is even more dramatic in chapter 4 than he has been in, verses, in chapters 1 through 3. So God has saved the city. All these people have accepted God as the one true and living God. And who doesn't get it still? Jonah, the reluctant prophet. He's angry. He's mad. But wait a minute, God. These heathens, these people that I don't even like, you saved them. And he's mad. He's actually mad that God didn't destroy the city. And that's our first key for today. There's going to be three keys. You may want to write these down, take a picture, pay attention to these. These are really important. Because the chapter, chapter 4, even though we may not like it, has some really great stuff in here that you and I can learn and that you and I can take from this. But the first key is that God's interruptions are a divine invitation. See, God interrupted Jonah's life. God interrupted Jonah's life with a mission that he wanted him to accomplish. When God does that, there's one of two ways that we can go. We can get on the wrong boat like Jonah did and run away from those, or we can lean into that invitation to see what it is that God is trying to accomplish in and through our lives. See, it's not an interruption. We, we hate to be interrupted, right? How many people hate to be interrupted? Okay, so some of you just aren't being honest and upfront with me today. but Because we should all have our hands in the air, right? There's nothing worse than when you're right in the middle of a task and somebody says, Hey, David, 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 what? For those of you that have kids, this happens every day. Dad, 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 dad. Yes, yes, Lucas, what do you need? We all hate to be interrupted. That's just human nature. And it's no different for some of these characters in the Bibles that we study about how they get interrupted 
on a regular basis, or God steps in. But here's my question for you. Who's interrupting who? Is God interrupting us, or are we interrupting him and his plans for us? I want you to think about that for just a moment, because we know that God has a story. And God has a plan for your life. Now, no, he's not pulling the strings. He's not controlling every little thing that you say and do. He gave us free will. Let's not confuse that with predestination and things like that. But God has a plan for your life. God has given you gifts in your life that you can use to advance the kingdom of God. So when we feel this interruption, when we have this situation put in front of us where God is inviting us to do something, God is asking us to do something, do we see that as an interruption or do we see that as an invitation? When God brings that coworker, that teammate, that classmate, that neighbor into your life who needs to hear the good news about Jesus, is that an interruption? I don't have time for this. I'm too busy for this. I don't want to do that. Or is it an invitation to teach somebody, to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ? So who's really interrupting who? Is God interrupting us or are we interrupting his greater plan, his greater story that he has for our lives? There's some folks in the Bible that had some major interruptions, right? Moses was interrupted with the burning bush. He was just minding his own business, right? Walking through the wilderness, all of a sudden here's this burning bush, starts talking to him. David, David was just a young boy, younger than some of our youth group kids right? All he was doing was going to take some cheese to his brothers who were on the front line fighting this war. And what does he end up doing? He ends up fighting the giant. See, David could have said, not now, God. I don't need to be interrupted by this. I got things to do. I'm just a boy. But he didn't. He said, this is an invitation to do great things for God. Gideon, same story. Gideon was mine as an old business, right? <laughs> in the wheat press. Some say hiding. Some say being smart because he was out of the way. And God called him a mighty warrior. God interrupted what Gideon was doing, which was trying to provide food for his family. And how can we forget Mary, the mother of Jesus? Do you think that was exactly what she had in mind? Do you think she woke up one morning and went, I really wish that I would have an immaculate conception of the Savior of our world? I don't think she did. Can you imagine how she felt when the angel came down and said, okay, Mary, so here's the plan. Uh, you're going to give birth to a child. And uh, yeah, people are going to question this and people are going to wonder how this happened. But don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Did Mary say, not now, I can't be interrupted with this. No, she said, use me in the way that you need to use me. And she accepted that as an invitation to do amazing things. Throughout the Bible, we have examples of those who got interrupted. How is God interrupting your life? Is God bringing people into your life that need you? Is God placing people in front of you that need to hear about Jesus? And if so, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? We had a men's breakfast yesterday. We, in, we invited the men to come up and, and have some breakfast and then we put them to work, right? We had a little work day, a little service opportunity. People had two options, right? I can't be interrupted to go to the church and do a little work on a Saturday. Or did you look at that as an invitation? Hey, this is a chance for me to serve God and to serve my church. See, everything is either an interruption or an invitation. 
And it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. See, Jonah looked at it as an interruption, and look where that got him. That got him in the belly of a fish. Let's go ahead and continue with our text. Verse 2 says, now, now Jonah's going to go in prayer. Because remember, Jonah's mad, right? He's angry. He's annoyed that God didn't kill these people. And he says, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to, <laughs> this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. It says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So here's, here's Jonah having a very interesting conversation with God. He's basically saying, look, God, this is, I knew this was going to happen. This is why I didn't do what you told me to do in the first place. I knew you were going to do this. And he's angry, and, he, and he's talking to God in, in a way that we don't often see the people of God talking to God. But you know what? We're humans, and we have emotions, and we have feelings, and our relationship to God is just like any relationship. And any relationship that you're invested in, there's going to be passion there. There's going to be some emotions involved. That's just what life and relationships and love is all about. See, Jonah was angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever said a prayer similar to this? Maybe you had a loved one that, that something tragic happened to them. Maybe you, things just weren't going your way in your life, and you get angry with God, and maybe you felt like Jonah. And you said, God, why? Why? Why did you do this, or why didn't you do that? I've been there. I've been there. There was a time my dad got a, got a blood clot in his lungs, and, and that blood clot broke up and started, started filling up all the little air sacs in his lungs, and, and I really thought we were going to lose my dad, and this was about 20, it's been about 20 years now. And, and I remember speeding to the hospital, yes, I was speeding, driving about as fast as my little car could go, and talking to God during that drive and going, why God? No, you can't do this. And I was angry. I was angry and I was frustrated. And it's easy to read these passages like we see in Jonah and say, whoa, can you believe the way he talked to God? But, but we've been there too. As I told you guys week one, sometimes we are Jonah. Sometimes we get in the wrong boat. Sometimes we yell at God because of the emotion, because of the love, because of the feelings involved. Our relationship to God is a father-son, father-daughter relationship. And you've all been there, because if you're here, even if you don't have kids, you were obviously somebody's kid, right? You've been there. You've yelled at your parents. Your parents have yelled at you. But it's all done out of love. And see, God loved Jonah enough to have that type of relationship. Verse 3 says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Remember we talked about Jonah. He's a little dramatic, right? Here he's being a little dramatic again. Oh, woe is me. Better to die than to have to put up with this. So he's literally asking God, just let me die. He's so upset that God didn't do what he wanted him to do that he asked him to let him die, 
Tyler read for us earlier what? God's plans are bigger and better than our plans. And see, Jonah has forgotten about this. And that's why he's talking the way that he is. Verse 4 says, But then the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, I, I like this response from God. He didn't drop the hammer. He didn't say, Jonah, stop being an idiot. Don't talk to me like that. He's making him stop and think. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to act like this? Now, I, I find a lot of parallels in this story, and I find a lot of parallels in, even in, in chapter 4. Does anybody remember the story of Elijah? Or the story of Elijah the prophet? Right? He went up against the prophets of Baal. And he has this amazing, it's such a great story. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. But long story short, he, he does this whole demonstration and he calls on God and God lights the altar on fire and then basically Elijah wins, right? He has this, this huge moment of faith, this huge moment of God just using him in a huge way. And what did Elijah do the next day? He ran. He ran from God. He had forgotten what God had just done for him. And that's exactly how I see this story of Jonah unfolding. God had just provided the biggest revival recorded in the history of the Bible to this point, and, and Jonah's like, you know what? Just kill me now. Maybe he needed a snack and a nap. I'm not sure. Verse 5 says, Jonah had gone and sat down at the place east of the city, there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah's basically pouting. He basically says, you know what? Forget this. I'm done. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to get myself a seat in the front row, and I'm going to see what God does next. Because Jonah's still secretly hoping, right, that God will still destroy the city. So he doesn't want to be in the city, so he's just outside of the city. He's just outside of the city pouting. Woe is me. Better for me to die. God, I can't believe you did this. And I can just see him out there sitting on a rock, you know, like, come on, God. What, what is this? So he's sitting in the shade. And he's just watching and he's waiting. He's waiting to see what is God going to do next. Key number two, God's grace is for every race. Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh. And it wasn't even a particular person or a particular family. He didn't like them as a people. He basically said, why would you save those people? You should just wipe them all out. See, he had forgotten that God's grace is for everybody. It's for the people that don't look like you and the people that don't talk like you and the people that don't pray like you. And even for the people that don't worship like you, his grace is for everyone. I don't read anywhere where it says God's grace is only for X, Y, Z. God's grace is for everyone. And see, Jonah had forgotten about this. And Jonah knew it. Jonah was a prophet. He knew this. But he had let, let all of these emotions and all of this anger get so boiled up inside of him that he, he literally is mad that God didn't wipe out an entire people. So he's sitting out, and he's pouting, and he's upset. And that just reminds us that you can do the will of God and not have the heart of God. Jonah did the will of God, right? He didn't want to, but he went to Nineveh, and he preached the gospel, and he 
took the message, right, the message that God had given him into the city, and he did it. And because of God, 120,000 people became new believers. <coughs> but right after, we see that he's actually mad that God didn't destroy the city. He's actually sitting outside of the city pouting. See, he did the will of God. He didn't have the heart of God. And we see this all the time, right? We see these people, and we've seen it over the years, right? These scandals in churches and these big-name preachers who we've always thought are just doing amazing things and converting all these people and preaching the word and writing books and doing TED Talks. And, and then what do we find out? That they were living a whole different life on the side. That they were doing things against God's will. See, they were doing the will of God but didn't have the heart of God. And that's another thing that we can learn from Jonah. Are we just going through the motions? Do we come to church on Sunday morning and we sit in the pew and we sing the songs and we close our eyes for the prayer and we take the communion and we listen to the message? And then what happens when we walk out the door? Do we have the same heart for God out there that we do in here? See, Jonah didn't, at least not at this point, at this point in time. He didn't have the heart of God. Another parallel that I can't help but draw to this story is the prodigal son. And we know the story of the prodigal son, right? The son goes to dad and says, hey, give me my inheritance now, even though you're still alive, and I'm going to go live my life. And we know that that didn't work out real well for him, right? It didn't work out well for him, and he ends up eating the, the pig slop. And then, and then what does he do? He comes back to his father who welcomes him with open arms. And if you remember in that story, right, it's this heartwarming story. He sees him in the distance and he, and he runs to him and he hugs him and he gives him the ring and they kill the fatted calf and he puts the best robe on him. And it's, it's a happy story and it's wonderful and it, and it symbolizes how God welcomes us back when we make a mistake. But then there's the older brother. Does anybody remember the older brother? See, he gets, he gets forgotten about in this story. And the older brother was mad. Wait a minute. I've been here the whole time. He ran off, spent all your money, and came crawling back, and you welcome him with open arms. See, there's a strong parallel here between the story of Jonah and the story of the prodigal son. See, Jonah is the older brother. Remember the older brother? He's, he's not in the party, right? He's sitting on the outside of the party looking in and pouting. Jonah's sitting outside the city looking in and pouting, and he's mad because these people had something wonderful happen. And the prodigal son, the older brother, is mad because of these things that happen. See, there are so many parallels in the Bible. There are so many just parallel stories in the Bible that when you start to look at these kinds of things, you can't help but understand how this is all woven together and how these things are, are, are re-emphasized throughout the Scriptures. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now remember, we're in what would be modern-day Iraq, right? I'm sure it was hot. I'm sure it was dusty. So God, again, even though he had just yelled at God, he had just gotten angry with God, God provides him a little bit of shade. And it says that Jonah's happy. See, here's, here's dramatic Jonah again, right? Goes from angry to happy. But God provided for his needs. Verse 7 says, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. See, there's our next key. 
God's providence is not based on your preference. God's providence is not based on your preference. And we actually see that throughout the story of Jonah. Jonah, God could have rescued Jonah from the depths of the ocean, from the brink of drowning in any way that he wanted. He could have sent a boat. He could have sent a raft. He sent a fish to swallow him so that he could live in the belly of that fish for three days while he reshaped him and remolded him. But see, God's providence is not always based on our preference. See, God takes care of us and God provides for us, but it's not always in the way that we would want it to be. But see, it goes back to what we read earlier, that his plan is better than our plan. He provides. It may not be the way you want it to be, but he provides. Verse 8 says, When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So here we go again, Jonah. That pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth, right? He's angry, he's happy, and he's angry again. Now, for those of you that ever lived in the desert, Kennedy's lived in Phoenix, Bailey's about to live in Phoenix. Let me just tell you right now, there's nothing worse than being angry and being hot. So I, I tell you, just a, just a quick side story. I used to ride motorcycles. Um, and for those of you who don't know, motorcycles have two gas tanks, right? They have the main tank, and then they have a reserve tank. Well, my buddy and I went riding, and he says, hey, I want to ride your bike. I was cool, whatever. We switch bikes, and, and we go about our business. Well, during that ride, he had switched my gas tank over to the reserve tank. Not, not necessarily a problem, but the problem is he didn't tell me that. So we got to where we were going, and we switched back bikes, and we took off, and I head out on the freeway. This was in Oklahoma in the middle of the summer. And I get about two miles down the road, almost exactly halfway between the two exits, of course, and the bike starts, and I'm like, okay, no big deal. And I go to turn it to reserve, and guess what? It's already on reserve. So I'm out of gas. So I'm annoyed at my buddy for running my bike out of gas and not telling me. And now I got to push my bike in Oklahoma in the summer to the next exit and up the ramp to get to a gas station. I was hot and I was annoyed. So I can kind of relate to what Jonah was feeling. But again, it's this pendulum swing with Jonah of being angry and then being happy, and then he's angry again. It says, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Here we go again, Jonah. So mad at you, God. When you're a kid, you know, you get so mad at your parents, I'm going to run away, right? You made it to about the corner because you couldn't cross the street. My mom loves to tell that story. I, I got mad at my parents one time, and I said, I'm going to run away. And I grabbed, like, my stuffed animal and a pair of underwear or something, and off I went. I was going to run away. Well, the problem was I wasn't allowed to cross the street. So I was sitting on the sidewalk at the street. Again, great, greatest plans, right? Verse 10 says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. It says, Though you did not tend it and make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. I think there's a whole other sermon there, 
There's a whole other lesson there about our talents that God gives us, right? We didn't deserve it, but he gives us these things. But he can also take these things away. Verse 11 says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is a rhetorical question, of course. This is God saying, come on, Jonah, you're better than that. You know better than that. You, of all people, should be thrilled that 120,000 people were brought to God. But Jonah couldn't get out of his own head, and he couldn't trust in God, and he couldn't trust in the plan that God had. So there's three ways that Jonah underestimated God, and I think these are very applicable for us here today. And the first is that God's interruptions are divine invitations. It's a matter of perspective. Is it an invitation or is it God urging you? Is it God prodding you to do something amazing for the kingdom? God's grace is for every race. The Great Commission tells us what? Take the Bible where? Take the gospel where? Everywhere. It doesn't say only to the people that you like or only to the people that look like you or only to the people who are living in your neighborhood. No, it says take it everywhere. God's grace is for every race. And Jonah needed to learn that lesson. And God's providence is not based on our preference. God has a story and God has a plan. And it may not always be convenient for us and we may not even always understand it. I hear people tell me all the time, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why this happened. Or I'm going to ask God why that happened. Well, first of all, I wouldn't recommend talking to God that way. Secondly, you're going to be so happy when you get to heaven, you're not going to care anymore. Because all of these cares and all of these struggles and all of these stresses and all of these things that you and I just don't understand, and we sing that song, right? Farther along, we'll know more about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. It's not going to matter anymore. It's not going to matter why you didn't get that job. It's not going to matter why your best friend got into a car accident because all of those things are going to disappear. All of those things are going to disappear when we get to the most amazing place that you could possibly imagine. See, from the great fish to the tiny worm, God was just trying to get Jonah back to Nineveh where he sent him in the first place. And I love that dichotomy between a tiny worm and this giant, this giant fish, right? He was just trying to get Jonah to go where he needed him to be. See, the worm ate the plant so that Jonah would be uncomfortable enough to go back where God had sent him in the first place. And see, God works that way sometimes. Sometimes we get too comfortable. These things that we're doing that go against God's will that we know we're not supposed to be doing, if we do them long enough, we get comfortable with it. And sometimes we've got to be shaken up a little bit. So God sends the worm to eat the plant to make Jonah uncomfortable enough to go back and do what he told him to do in the first place. See, where is God trying to get you to go? Where is your Nineveh? Is it the people at your work? Is it the people at your school? Is it your next-door neighbor? Is it the people across the street? When we think of this idea of, of missions and we think of this idea of spreading the gospel, we, we always immediately think of foreign nations and foreign countries and all these pe places where people need to hear about Jesus. 
And that is important, don't get me wrong. I am not, not by any means downgrading that fact. But guess what? There's people right here in Mission Viejo that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us have the opportunity to do that. We talked about this last week, right? We, we don't have to have a 20-minute spiel. We don't have to know everything that's in the Bible. All we need to know is John 3.16 and that he loved us so much he sent his son to die for us so that we might not die but have everlasting life. It's that simple. Tell them what God has done in your life. Tell them what Jesus has done for you and that he loves you so very much because we all want to be loved and we all want to be accepted. And then bring them to somebody else that can study with them if you need to. See, it's God's story. It's not ours. We live in a very me, 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 me society. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I need. Look at me. Look at what I've done. But it's not about you and me. It's about God and what he's trying to do. And we're just blessed that he uses us in amazing ways to do his work to advance his kingdom. Maybe this morning you've never had that opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be buried in baptism for remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that this morning. Or, or maybe like Jonah, you've been a, a faithful a faithful Christian. But things have just interrupted and things have crept in and, and you just need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask Skeeter to come back up. I'm gonna invite our elders to come forward. And you have an opportunity to come down and give your life to Christ. If you need prayer, we can do that for you. Or if you don't wanna come down in front of the church, meet us after church. Myself, any of the elders or the staff, be happy to talk to you, be happy to pray for you, be happy to help you in any way as we stand together and as we sing. I saw the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard me and saved me from my enemies. The Son of God surrounds His saints. He will deliver them. He will deliver them. Magnify the Lord with me. Everything.